0: IEEE Essay Voice shares insights and perspectives from the IEEE SA community, subject matter experts, and industry leaders that are working to raise the world's standards, drive market solutions, and much more, keeping you at the forefront of technological innovation for the benefit of humanity.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the IEEE Essay Rethink Health podcast series. I'm your host, Maria Palombini, Director of IEEE SA Healthcare and Life Sciences Global Practice. This podcast takes industry stakeholders, technologists, researchers, clinicians, regulators, and more from around the globe to task. How can we rethink the approach to healthcare with the responsible use of new technologies and applications that can afford more security, protection, and sustainable, equitable access to quality care for all individuals? You can check out our previous seasons on ieeesaio backslash health podcast, or use your favorite player, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. Here we are with season three, AI for Good Medicine, which brings a suite of multidisciplinary experts from around the globe to provide insight as to how do we envision artificial intelligence, AI, machine learning, or any other deep learning technology delivering good medicine for all. We all want good medicine, but at what price? Essentially, in terms of trust and validation in its use. As healthcare industry stakeholders, we're not looking for the next frontier of medicine if it's not pragmatic, responsible, and can be equitably valuable to all. In this season, we go directly to the technologists, clinicians, ethicists, regulators, and researchers about how these deep learning technologies can make real impact on improving outcomes for patients anywhere from drug development to healthcare delivery. Will AI, ML, or deep learning cut through the health data swamp for better health outcomes? Let's find out. So a short disclaimer before we begin, IEEE does not endorse or financially support any of the products or services affiliated and or discussed by our guest experts in this series. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome Dr. Maria Luisa Pineda, co-founder and CEO of Invisigenics. Welcome, Maria. Oh, thanks for having me, Maria. I am super excited with this interview. We're going to talk about how we can get a better understanding of how artificial intelligence and HPC, high-performance computing, mixed with RNA sequencing is accelerating drug discovery. So the mission of Invisigenics is to discover therapeutic points of intervention to cure diseases caused by RNA splicing errors using AI and HPC. Invisogenics partners with renowned institutions such as Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, and has been recipients of grant funding from National Institute of Health and other world-recognized endowments. I like to humanize the experience for our listeners. I'm gonna start with a very important quote, and there's a reason why I'm going to share this quote with everyone. Behind every successful woman is a tribe of other successful women who have her back. I had the unique pleasure of meeting Dr. Pineda a few years ago at the health conference that was taking place in Las Vegas, just before the COVID pandemic broke out in the United States. I actually contacted her out of the blue through LinkedIn and told her I was hosting a session on AI and women in health, and she immediately responded and agreed to speak in the session. From the first minute I met her, you can sense her enthusiasm and passion. Her dedication to inspire and share her story, to mentor women in the field, automatically made me think of words I have heard often from women like Robin Roberts, Sheryl Sandberg, and others. When they say, behind a successful woman, there's more often a woman mentor behind her. Plus, Maria being from New York, automatically, I kind of right away just felt aligned with her, (laughs) having that background. I felt like I was talking to one of my friends. What inspired me the most when I was talking with you, Dr. Pineda, is when you first opened my eyes that AI will potentially become the new pipeline for drug discovery. She shared her work at the time on some unique findings on genetics of patients with triple negative breast cancer. Their work exposed why these patients were not responding to chemo like in traditional therapeutic applications. As the day went on, she also randomly mentioned to me she was hiring staff for her company, and she said her preference was not to see the person's name on the resume. I never forgot that. She said her interest was to see the qualifications of the person, gender, race, ethnicity, or any other demographic indicator had no position in her decision for the right candidate. Like I said, I was inspired by the moment I met you in that meeting room. So I'm so delighted to have you here today.
0: Oh, Thanks, Maria. That's really nice. You have great memory and it's pretty <laughs> impressive.
1: So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much. Tell us a little bit about you. You studied to be a biologist and had early success by being awarded an endowment of $2 million from the Gozeta Foundation. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. right Gozeta, yes. And you were an NIH fellow and more. What drives your passion to not only help patients, but also at the same time, your passion simultaneously to mentor women in the field?
0: Well, I was raised by a really strong woman, my mom, entrepreneur, businesswoman, raised three children by herself. So I think I could start by that. Being raised by a strong woman and businesswoman, I learned and saw that now that I'm a mom, it's even more important because I see how difficult it is, but how important it is. And I could really see how women can do everything in their power and that they put their mind into. What really makes me passionate always since I was very little has been science. I've been doing science since I can remember And when I moved to this country, I ended up getting my mentor at Bayer University. And she was a German scientist, woman. Not only was she a, a great mentor, but an ally. She was always helping me on the science. And I was a high school student back then. And she helped me put a science project together. And then I ended up winning and placing in the Intel International Science and Engineering Fair. With the funds I got from winning, I bought my first car but I also allowed me to get a full fellowship from the Guiswara Foundation which was run by the widow from the CEO, founder of Coca-Cola, who was Cuban-American. She was looking for a Latinx student that they could fund. And after I won the science fair, she saw me in a newspaper and was able to give me that endowment with what I was able to go to private school uh, with. And on top of that, then I was able to get NIH grants. And when I pursued my PhD, I was able to also get a and Hearst Foundation fellowship. And allowed me to realize this country provides so many opportunities for people that are interested and are proactive and are passionate what they're doing. And for me, it was science. But while I was finishing my PhD, I realized I was not only able to do very good science, but also all throughout my career, I was able to get my own funding for school, for research, and started a couple of groups of what can you do with a PhD, not only for a female, but for all PhD students in the tri-state area, in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Because I realized I could got my own funding and I was very good at this business thing, but I wasn't sure what it was or what it meant. But, you know, I was mentored then by Venture Capital Angel Group funded by women to fund only women in C-level positions in companies. Uh, It's called Golden Seeds. And it was really impressive because women that start companies are in C-level positions actually have higher returns for their investment. So my passion is not only science, but also making a difference and having references and and getting, you know, being mentored by women and really good men allies. But being for other women in the United States, being that person for them and having a reference for them, because it is possible. You just have to make it happen.
1: Absolutely. I think it's an inspiring story. This is why I started with the quote with the tribe of women (laughs) behind the woman is because this always end up that way. I mentioned a little bit about Invisigenics, what the vision is, but how did a biologist, by training, marry the science to this cutting-edge platform using AI and in, in high-performance computing to accelerate these valuable insights that you guys are now generating and finding? When
0: we were at the lab, my co-founder, Martine, we were lucky to be part of Adrian Craner's development of Scream we we're seeing everything that was being done at the lab and in partnership with Ionis Pharmaceutical and Biogen for children with spinal muscle atrophy, which is a genetic disorder where children's muscles stop working. My professor, Adrian, and and his team were developing, in partnership with these other pharmas, these uh, small RNA therapeutic that could fix this RNA error in children with SMA, spinal mm-hmm. muscle atrophy. It took them almost 12 years, but the children that could move a single muscle are not walking. Are sending Adrian like little trinkets and pictures of him. That means the muscles are working again, they're smiling again. So mm. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I wanted to do what they did with spin but instead do it for many other indications. So what we were doing, because Harvard did uh, the human genome sequencing, we had availability of sequencing. And back then, one whole human genome could be a terabyte or so. So the data was starting to get bigger and it was very expensive in the beginning to do them. But the sequencing was getting cheaper and there was all these new technology that we could use instead of doing it on premise, right on the computer. This thing called the cloud is starting to be developed at the same time as sequencing. So the premise was using cloud computing, hyper-performance computing, so we could automate and accelerate what we're doing on-premise, right, on your computer in the lab Mm -hmm. faster. It used to take us four to six weeks to analyze one data set now we can do a thousand patients in under two hours. The premise of data and the amount of technology was exponential. So how do we use tech and high-performance computing, RNA sequencing, machine learning, so we can actually extract all that information and use it for therapeutic development? While we were building the company, we wanted to make sure that after we extracted really meaningful data, we also had a biologist team that could then validate everything that came out of the AI ML platform. It was very hype in Big Pharma. So we wanted to make sure that we had a proof of concept that we actually were able to validate the findings that the platform was showing. Because as my co founder says, everything is in the pudding, meaning, <laughs> it's really you really have to showcase tangible things because data information is very abstract. For us to generate therapeutics for patients so they get treated and have better outcome in their life, we really had to take all those findings and validate them. So we did that with the case study that you said in triple negative breast cancer, which is a very high and met need for women in the United States and Europe. We have around 50,000 women and there's nothing available. What we wanted to do is use our platform at least to identify the right targets, which is exactly what my platform does is identify the target for the right patient population so then you can stratify them, then design an RNA therapeutic or other type of therapeutic modality so we can targeted the right way, finding the right drug mm. for the right patient, basically. And then repeating the process over and over again, machine learning and AI allows us to say no in a faster way or keep putting mm. more resources because what we do is extremely expensive in order for us to accelerate and change the way that we do discovery. Instead of testing random drugs and seeing which one works, we actually identify the target and then develop the chemistry for that target, which then we can stratify the patients for that specific target, which becomes a component diagnostic as well as that
1: therapeutic. We can do that now in less than eight months. That's really great. I think this is when we really think about the real potential of these kinds of platforms. But for some of our audience who well, are not really scientists, they're more on the technology <laughs> side. So let's just say we have to give them a little bit more about this RNA thing. We've heard about the mRNA vaccine from Moderna and Pfizer. Can you share with our audience what it means exactly by RNA splicing and the types of disease that are most likely to be caused by this type of quote unquote error?
0: First off, we're heavily in health companies based off RNA. So we're very grateful that mRNA <laughs> vaccines were brought to attention, but generally speaking, In order to create and make your body work properly, you have to create proteins. Proteins going to make all our tissues, our body function properly. But then we all have the same genes. So how do we all look different? That's called... RNA splicing. RNA splicing is how you cut and paste all those genes to make different proteins. That's what makes all of us diverse. You look different than I do. And even my siblings look different, but we all have the same genetic information. RNA splicing creates the diversity of the human genome and the proteins are being made. Then there's many errors or some that are sick acting or transacting. The sick acting are like genetic disorders, just like spinal muscular mm-hmm. atrophy, which is making an error on one gene. Where in transacting, it's more of when this placing factory, which is the largest factory of your cell, which has around 300 protein, it tells you how the proteins are being built. And when it gets messed up because it has 300 proteins, many things can go wrong. That's where machine learning and platforms like mine could use machine learning and AI to basically look at opportunities and understanding how these errors are being made. Most of the diseases that happens to are things like cancer, a number of solid or hematopoietic cancers, meaning breast cancer, lung cancer, leukemia, those don't have a lot of DNA errors, but they have tons of RNA errors. When you're trying to develop a therapeutic, you should understand how that disease it's being toxic to your body. We use our platform to basically understand use sequencing and all these machine learning modules or algorithms to understand and extract all that insight of how the disease is being affected, which proteins are present in the disease patient and not in normal tissue. So when we're designing the therapeutic, we're hitting the right protein. Then if it's too toxic, then we take it away, we put a Band-Aid, which is an RNA therapeutic or we change it or maybe use your immune system, which is fighting to make you feel better. We use the immune system to kill it, to go and eat it. There's different ways that RNA splicing errors could help. I think the other ones are neuromuscular disorders or neurodegenerative disorders. Those have 10 proteins that are messed up in most of those disorders. Eight out of the 10 are RNA splicing factors. You really want to make sure that you can group patients by the RNA errors and understand what's happening and the biology behind it. So then when you're deciding drugs and therapeutics for them, you are doing it, understanding the mechanism of action, understanding what's
1: happening within the disease. That's just fascinating. I mean, just the insights alone. You've really hit on what the platform SpliceCore can do. What makes this platform so unique? SpliceCore platform utilizes RNA sequencing data sets for
0: its discovery purposes. For those that don't know, once you have a tumor, that tumor normally goes to pathology so they could see what's going on on the tumor. So you can get what type of cancer do you have, what stage it is, but you also get a lot of sequencing. RNA specifically, we upload it to the cloud, and then we use that against our transcriptome reference like a map. We have approximately 7 million splicing targets. Instead of looking at genes, we actually don't care about genes. We care about exons, three exons together, because they could be targeted by a therapeutic. By re-envisioning the human genome, and instead of calling these genes, we call these three exons and RNA splicing them, We now have 7 million of those. If you're looking for something to drug and the database is only 33,000, then if you go through all your 33,000 and you didn't find anything, nothing of your chemistry fit, then you give up. But when you have a 7 million target list, then you have more possibilities. Out of the 7 million, again, not all of them are good drugs. And that's where we use machine learning and AI. We use different features because having coincidence between data sets, let's say we find some samples, data sets from patients in John Hopkins Medical School, and then we go to the Broad Institute, and then we go to MGH at Harvard and get three different data sets from breast cancer patients. And we find this target that is present in all three different cohorts of patients and not present in normal tissue. Then we say, okay, this coincidence, something might be going there. So we use these features, or I call them filters. And we diversify our approach instead of taking a funnel approach for target selection. Because if a single funnel, we use the same filter for everything, once one goes bad, all of them will, because you use the same filter, right, or same approach. Instead, we use a disaversify approach where we use different filters. By doing that, then we can identify targets for different modalities. Modalities is the type of chemistry that you use for drugs, so you can have targets for RNA therapeutic, for antibodies, or for small molecules. Depending which chemistry you're going to use, the targets will look different, so the proteins will look different. We really
1: use the platform like that. That's just awesome. These levels of data that your mm-hmm. guys are getting to is just unbelievable. How have you managed to keep it secure, private, compliant? I'm sure you guys have all of these challenges having to do that. Data is a core piece of
0: our company in Visogenics. I think we're very fortunate because we have. Microsoft is one of our partners. I think Microsoft and other cloud service providers have done really well for us to have built our platforms with them. While they were starting, they basically really worked on security and privacy and compliance. We frequently interact with engineers and knowledgeable experts so we can assist with the growth. But in reality, we focus on the science and building our platform and validating things in our lab. While companies like Microsoft, AWS, and Google, all three of them have really focused on securing things on the cloud and having everything. Everything very compliant, but all the data that we analyze is de-identified. We have absolutely no data that could be tracked back. And even Mm. because of that, the platform is almost double de-identified because once it goes through our platform, we have different types of files that come out of that. Once it comes out of the specific display score outputs, those outputs cannot be back-engineered and can only be analyzed or read by splice supply score. That could be also put into different cloud service providers or partners. You can add it to people's tech hub or cloud, and we need to analyze their data. We're not moving it. When you have patient data, you don't want to move it, store it, or do anything with it for privacy. So what we do is that we bring our platform to that data set. Our specific bio outputs I was telling you about, those data outputs is what we use for drug discovery and development. They didn't have to touch, move, or do anything with anybody's data. We took that approach on the technical. It was a big bottleneck in the beginning, but working very closely with Microsoft and other cloud service providers helped us to build our platform in the cloud with HPC from the get-go. That has allowed us to focus on the science and
1: leave all that data management for them. That's awesome. I hear this a lot now too with swarm AI and decentralized research mm-hmm. and it's all about sharing of the insights not so much the data.
0: There's so much data out there it's what you do with the data that makes a difference. Absolutely.
1: So you've already shared some interesting outcomes from your work. What do you think are some of the greatest contributions you guys have had either towards the development of a targeted therapy or the total amount of reduction of time in finding out particular insights that were not there before, all of the above. What do you think has been some of your greatest contributions so far?
0: I mentioned the triple negative breast cancer using our Mm SpiceCore platform and the downstream validations that come with it. But basically we went from data analysis of RNA sequencing all the way to a novel preclinical target And it's compound in a matter of eight months. So our platform can predict this optimal binding for RNA therapeutics. Our machine learning algorithm predicted five and two of them worked. To this date, Mm -hmm. scientists for RNA therapeutics do something called microwalk, where they Mm -hmm. go in one base at a time. So they manually test over 200 nucleotides upstream and downstream and two to three work. Wow. So imagine we've predicted five and synthesized five and two of those worked because we understand all the biology behind it. Each of those compounds is worth 3000 to 5000 to just synthesize it and a timeline to get it done in a matter of months or years. Mm-hmm. And we just cut the cost so you can test a small fraction without having to waste all those
1: resources and time.
0: That's one of the things that you learning and AI platforms like ours could definitely,
1: you could see it right away, right? Just by the numbers. That's cool. That is really fascinating. Definitely helps expedite. When you're in that race, anything helps. Hey there. Did you know that the average patient may have two or more connected medical or fitness devices in, on, around their body operating at one time? Plus, they may have 10 or more smart devices on average operating in their home. How seamless, secure, and private could that patient's personal area network be? IEEE SA's WAMI program, Wearables and Medical IOT Interoperability and Intelligence, has a global community of experts collaborating and incubating solutions for these exact type of challenges. If you want to join in or learn more, visit IEEESA.io backslash WAMI, W-A-M-I-I-I. Also, while on the website, check out the WAMPI Virtual Talk Series, free access to more than 30 sessions on demand, plus our regular live broadcasts. Just visit ieesa.io backslash whammy for all the details. I hear this debate. There's no such thing as precision medicine or we have to move towards precision medicine. But I noticed something specifically when you talk about targeted drug discovery, you use these words very selectively. So I kind of want to get your input as like, what do you think is the difference? And why is it better to more accurately look at therapeutics through that lens,
0: I think precision medicine is not very specific per se. Where, whereas targeted drug discovery, we at Medtronic believe that if you find the right target for the specific indication or specific disease, then you understand you can stratify patients. So it's finding the right therapy for the right patients. That's why we call it targeted because we find the target, we understand the mechanism of action, the biology behind it. And try to understand the disease itself and how that target is involved in the disease. Then we design the chemistry against that target. So once we're going into the clinic, then we can stratify the patients. We can understand what error are we fixing on that patient population. And I think it's more accurate. It's a better term. It is the future of medicine. We all have to be treated in a targeted way because cancer just means when the cell goes bad. We all have the same genetic material, but there's so many things that are involved in diseases, pathogenesis, right? Like there's so many things that could go wrong. You really have to understand what's going on wrong for each person. But if we can group those patients, then we can target them in groups instead of one by one. Precision medicine is one person and that takes a long time. But if you can group them, then we could target them by groups and stratify them and save more patients' lives faster.
1: Absolutely. Very good point. I like to do this to all my guests. I call it the thing fast question. So when I mention AI for good medicine, what is the first thing that comes to mind and why?
0: AI and biopharma has come so far. Eight years ago, let me just put it that way. We were starting to be invited to panels, and there was the same five companies, maybe 50 people in the room, were talking. And now, some of the AI panels that I've been, we have two to five thousand people that are interested. So the AI sector in biopharma industry has grown so much, and is such an essential part of this organization because we really have to use innovation. To change, I mean, look at COVID—the way that it happened, right? We use innovation, we use biointech. They did such an amazing job, and everybody came together in a year to have a compound being tested in clinical trials, developing it, and all the pharma's AI was such an important part of this, and it's very promising. It will bring forward new therapeutics that we're hoping so we can reach patients that are in big need and their families. So we can accelerate, we change, and in a group effort, really bring forward what has not been previously possible without traditional methods of just failing one by one. Absolutely.
1: One of my first podcasts for this season, we had a debate on whether the ethics of AI was all about, does it cause more healthcare disparity or actually close the gap? But in this case with you, it's more in the question of validating responsible use in AI for health applications. So you have the work in the science and now the tech side. What would you like the global healthcare community to know about these types of tools that perhaps they may not be aware or misled when it comes to potentially improving the patient's health outcomes? I think
0: AI, you really have to work together in order for you to use it the right way for the right means. For us, at least, is for drug discovery. So understanding from the patients what's going on and developing therapeutics for them. We created a global advocacy organization that is dedicated for the discovery and development and delivery of better solutions so we can improve patients' lives. That is a coalition between technology developers, pharma companies, research organizations like mine, universities, and the U.S. and European governments and Canada. We put them together so we can realize the potential of AI and machine learning in healthcare. How can we improve the quality of care but addressing the industry challenges like establishing responsible, ethical, and reasonable standards, how we're developing policies, working with, you know, government NGOs, key opinion leaders, and other international stakeholders so we can have the premise or the promise of AI and how it works and how we can improve patients' lives. But at the same time, making it efficient, sustainable, and creating accessible healthcare system that it's diverse. For instance, we all use data. We want to make sure that the data is coming from a diverse set of populations. We're going through COVID that happened, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, minorities and underrepresented groups and women tend to not being part of those clinical trials. So then we didn't have a lot of data going in. So we always say garbage in, garbage out. So as data scientists and innovators in healthcare, we have to make sure that we have a wide variety of participants across the healthcare spectrum, as well as the diversity of data in patient population, because diseases are global. They're not one race. They are affecting us anywhere in the world. That's why you have to think about these issues globally. Make sure that they include us in the conversation. So when we're standardizing, we were part of that as well as the government, pharma companies, and some of the academic institutions because they don't have enough knowledge. So combining everybody into one organization, like the Alliance for Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare, has allowed us to come together and set something up. So I want to make sure that everybody knows that, yes, we're working towards a healthier future, but all of us as a group. And I think that's extremely important for our children and medicine in the
1: future. Absolutely. Really important to note that diseases don't have a bias. You talked about so many great opportunities and insights. Talking to some of my guests, they always say that there was some single most challenging aspect when they started or as they go through the process when they were using the applications of AI. It could have been lack of open data or there's not enough standards developed, more policy, or it could be not enough computing power. And all of these things just seem to somehow fuel some concern or uncertainty or credibility and trust of these tools. So for you, what was it or what could it be and why, and in your opinion, what would be the best way to resolve it? So I'm the type of person that
0: if it's not there, you can create it. One of the co-founders of the AIH, of the Alliance of Artificial Intelligence in Healthcare. He said, if there's no policies, then let's get together. There's no standards. Let's get together and figure them out, put them together with the government, with a regulatory institution so we can get things done. I was the vice chair for a year and a half. And now I'm the secretary of the AIH. We really work together with my other AI, interrupt discovery and Healthcare companies and the pharma partners mm-hmm. to really work on all these challenges that we all face. Like it's not only in Visigenics, all of us face the same thing. So grouping it and working together will help us apply it and, and resolve it. And then when it comes to all the technology or cloud or, or bottlenecks, Once you have a bottleneck, then you go and work with people that can help you solve it, either the government or providers. But again, you need to have that proactiveness and that vision and be willing to work. Just because there's challenges doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Actually, it's the opposite. There's challenges. They need to be resolved. You don't try to resolve them who will. So I'm always trying to put a a foot forward and, and be part of the change and try to resolve things as best as we can and bring opinion leaders and the leaders on each of those fields so we can resolve it together.
1: Absolutely. I think it's a very important approach. You all sharing the same challenges that are maybe blocking innovation or really not letting you open the doors the way you want to. So the best thing is to get together and figure it out. I am familiar with the organization and I'm all for the great work that you guys are doing over there. Yeah,
0: I appreciate it. It's been two years and and a half that we've been building it from scratch, but it's definitely necessary not only to work together, but also help each other and partner with each other.
1: Maria, I've given so many insights and so many thoughts today. Any final thoughts you would like to share with our audience? A call to action for any technologist considering getting into this space or is already in that area of health tech, but not really sure where they're going with it.
0: I really want to say that if it was easy, everybody will do it. Just because it's hard doesn't mean that Mm -hmm. you shouldn't. And so I'm always saying, just go for it. Ask for help, you can get mentor, get allies, get partners. And by doing that and having the right team in place, you really can accomplish anything you want in life while having a balance. And balance means very different things for people. I'm a mom, uh, a wife, um, a CEO. And I couldn't do anything if I didn't have all the support from my mentors, from my team, from my husband, from my son. Having that balance, whatever that means to you, will take you places that you will never imagine that you could. Absolutely. It
1: takes a tribe. I think that's really important. So for all of you out there, make sure you have the right support system. I think it's really important to achieve your goals. Maria, thank you so much. I want to thank you for your time, but especially for the great work and making yourself uh, available to talk with me today. I greatly appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks so much for the invite. I always love talking about all the work that we're doing, the amazing science that my team is building. And again, it's all for
1: the patients and their families so we can get drugs and therapies available for them as soon as we can. Absolutely. So for all of you out there, if you want to learn more about Invisigenics, visit invisigenics.com. Many of the concepts we talked about today with Maria are addressed in various activities here at the IEEE SA healthcare and life science practice. The mission of our practice is engaging multidisciplinary stakeholders and have them openly collaborate, build consensus and develop solutions in an open standardized means to support innovation and that will enable privacy, security, and equitable, sustainable access to quality care for all. We have activities such as Whammy Wearables and Medical IoT Interoperability Intelligence, Transforming the Telehealth Paradigm, Decentralized Clinical Trials, Responsible Innovation of AI for the Life Sciences, and a whole bunch more. If you would like to learn more about these activities, they're all open, meaning you can just join. You don't have to be a member or pay anything and you want to contribute your expertise to solving a major challenge to open the doors to innovation, please visit ieesa.io backslash HLS. If you enjoy this podcast, we ask you to share it with your peers, your colleagues on your social media. This is the only way we can get these important discussions out into the domain by you helping us to get the word out. You can tag us on Twitter at IEESA or on LinkedIn IEEE Standards Association when sharing this podcast. I want to do a special thanks to all of you, our audience, for listening. Continue to stay safe and well- well, until next time. On behalf of IEEE
0: Standards Association and IEEE SA Voice, thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit standards.iEEE.org. We hope you'll join us again soon.